Well, let me say hello to everybody who's joining us, whether you are online, whether you're at one of our campuses in this room. So glad that you're here. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here at Forest Hill. And uh, just a couple of things before we get started. One thing I want you to know, because so many folks over the last couple of weeks, as spring has turned and it feels like life is coming back to normal, you know, so many people are back, some of you here for the first time, and some for the first time in a long time, and we're so glad you're here. I just wanna make sure you have everything you need to take a step, because this is not just a, a something that you come to as an event once a week and then wait till the next week, right? This is about living a life together on mission. And the easiest way for you to do that is there's a QR code. It's either on the back of a seat in front of you, it's on the screen right now. If you hover that, scan it, click the link, we can get you connected to everything that's happening, whether that's a campus, whether that's an event, if you wanna join a group, if you are continuing to just obey God and worship by being generous and supporting this church, thank you for that. If you wanna jump in and give and invest in what he's doing, that's where you can do all of that right there. So I just wanna make sure that you have what you need in challenging times to do what you need to do as you kind of restart faith. And these are challenging times, aren't they? I mean, we are living in moments that are so difficult, and every single one of us is challenged, is pushed, is suffering. Maybe this past week was hard. This was a tough week just to, to see what's happening and to try to figure out how do I think about and engage, and, and our hearts can get broken, and, and sometimes it just feels like you want to give up. And, and the truth is, that we have everything that we need to live courageously in challenging times when we are connected to the source of life in Christ. And that's what I wanna to begin to talk with you about today. We're starting this new series on a book called Second Peter. It's a letter by a guy, one of Jesus' disciples, that wrote right at the end of his life. And, and despite all the challenging things that you and I face right now, and, and I know some of you have way bigger ones. There's, there's fear and there's scarcity and there's medical stuff and, and all the stuff some of you have that's going on. Every single one of us, if Peter knew your story, he would say, I hear you and none of it is more challenging than what I faced. You know how sometimes when you come across a problem and you need like help, you can go to YouTube and just like look up a, a, a tutorial. You can go to a textbook, but there are some things in life that you don't want a textbook answer. You want someone who's been there, who's lived it and walked it and can help you say, not just I can tell you what to do, but I know what this feels like. Peter is one of those people. Uh, when he writes this letter we're gonna be looking at over the next couple of months, Peter is writing in jail in Rome around the year 67 AD, and he is about to be martyred by the Emperor Nero. It's coming up, it may just be a few months after he's finished writing, but sometime in the very near future, he's gonna die. And so this letter becomes like his last will and testament. He's telling the people he's writing to, I want you to know everything that I could possibly leave you with to help you live the life that God has called you to live. And he's gonna tell us three things in this letter over the next few months. We're gonna do, this is different than we normally do around here. A lot of times we take a topic and we'll discuss that or we'll follow the church calendar and we'll do it. We're gonna just sit down in the middle of three chapters for a couple of months and we are gonna plumb the depths of what is there. We're gonna find out everything that we can about what's in this letter and here's what he's gonna tell us. He's gonna, this is why this is important. This is why you should master this material, why you wanna stick with us. He's gonna say first, there is a foundation for faith that you and I need badly right now. There is a way to be confident in living the life that is possible 
and you can find it by what he's going to tell us. Secondly, he's going to say there are false teachers. There, there are false narratives. There is untruth and lies out there that is going to be so deceptively um, intriguing to you that you're going to want to follow it. But you can tell the difference between counterfeit and truth, and I can help you do that. That's what he's also going to talk to us about. And then thirdly, he's going to say, and I can tell you about the future, where this is all going. And many of us have asked this question. What's all this moving towards? Is this the end of time? Is this? And he's going to tell us how we can know and what we can expect, which should inspire hope and confidence. This is why you and I need this letter right now, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. So as we jump into it, I'm going to ask first that you consider with me this question. And, and here's why I really think every single one of you are here. And that is this. You believe that transformation is possible. How many of you would say, at the end of this year, I would like to be better, different, changed than I am right now, no matter what happens, no matter if the year doesn't get better? Would you agree with that? You want to see, look, people don't come to church anymore just because it's habit. You're here, you're watching, because you believe this is actually possible, and you want more. He's going to say, this is where you find it. So if you can answer that question in the affirmative, stick with us, and you're going to find so much riches and treasure in this letter. Let's start today looking at the first four verses. I'm going to ask you wherever you are, if you'd stand up, we're going to read together from 2 Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And this is what Peter has to say. Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, his glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of evil desire. This is God's word. You can be seated. Four verses in, basically through the greeting, and there is so much content that there's no way I'm going to be able to unpack all of it in the next two hours. Just joking. The next 25 minutes or so. Let's first think about this. Who's writing the letter? Peter himself. Some of you may know this. You may know the story of Peter, but real quickly, Peter is one of the, the insiders of Jesus' group of followers. He's a disciple, one of the original 12. He meets Jesus with his brother Andrew early on, and when he does, Jesus changes Peter's name from Simon, or Simeon, the Hebrew way of saying it, to Peter. Now, it's really interesting that he does this right off the bat. I think Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock, partially because Jesus is looking into Peter's life and he is calling out the identity that Peter is gonna ultimately live into. This is this first point that's so amazing. Jesus looks at you and he sees not just who you are, he actually sees through who you are to who you can be, who you will be, 
who he is going to give you everything you need to become. And he invites you to come out and to live into that identity. Now, that's one reason that he calls him the rock, because Peter's going to be a staunch foundation for the church. But here's another reason I think early on he calls him a rock. Because Peter acts as dumb as a rock a bunch of times. He is stubborn. He's hard-headed. He makes mistakes. This is why I love Peter. This is why you should too. By the end of this time, you're going to love this guy. He's my favorite because he's like me. He makes stupid mistakes. He speaks when he should listen. He sleeps when he should pray. He's, uh, he's like brash and arrogant sometimes. And then when the pressure comes, he gets all meek and mild and like crumbles and falls apart. In fact, this is how dumb Peter was. I shouldn't say he was dumb, right? That's not, that's not good. But I, this is how dense Peter was. At one point early on, he invites Jesus and 11 of the disciples to come over to his house where his mother-in-law lives for dinner. But his mother-in-law is so sick, she's in bed with a fever and can't get up. Clearly, Peter did not live in the South. How dumb do you have to be to invite 12 people? To, this sounds like a good idea. Mom-in-law's in the bed sick. Why don't y'all come over and we'll have her whip us up something real good here, a casserole or whatever, right? It kind of works out well for her because Jesus comes and heals the mother-in-law and then she gets up and serves him. But, but this is the kind of guy he is. Peter is impulsive. And he's gonna change over time from this coward on the one hand to a courageous champion on the other. This is why we're gonna use his life as an example so often for what we're talking about. Because he has one of the most dramatic transformations. And if he can do it, if God can take him and change him, and transform him into this powerhouse. He can do the same with you, no matter how you failed. And Peter had failed huge. Just a couple weeks ago, we get to Easter, right? And we're looking at his life. And what happens after Jesus is betrayed and arrested? Do you remember the story? Peter, he's hiding. He's so afraid. In fact, this big burly fisherman probably had a huge good looking beard. He gets intimidated by a 14 year old slave girl and pretends like he doesn't even know who Jesus is. That's how strong and arrogant this guy is, that when the pressure comes, he just folds. 40 days later, one month later after Jesus' resurrection, we find Peter preaching one of the most courageous sermons, effective sermons that has ever been preached in the history of the world. It's, it's found in Acts, and it says this. Real quick, before we jump into these scriptures, I just wanna show you this. After he denies Jesus, one month later, he stands up and he says this. Uh, the Holy Spirit has just come on all of the disciples. They've got this new power and it's emanating through Peter. And what's funny though is the people around who are watching that he was scared of two weeks ago, all of a sudden now they're standing there and they're like, what's going on with these people? Are they drunk? They're, they're acting crazy. And Peter says, no, 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 we're not drunk. Listen to this. He says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. How's that for an icebreaker? Hey, I know that I was scared and running away from you before, but now here's what I can say. The person that you just killed is the savior of the world. What are you gonna do about it? He goes on to say, repent and believe this message. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you too can have this incredible power of the spirit. Because this promise, here's some of the echoes from what we just read in his letter, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
And listen to this, those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 were added that day. What takes somebody from, I mean, I got daughters, so like I'm all about girl power, but what takes somebody scared of a little girl and has them stand up to the most powerful people in the world and speak those kind of words? I'm gonna show you in these first four verses. Let's look at verse, starting with verse one. Just in his introduction, Peter begins his letter by calling himself both names that he had been given. The first, Simeon, that he had been given at birth, and the second, Peter, that Jesus had given him. Peter holds in his, his introduction both parts of this identity. He recognizes that he was a flawed, vulnerable, weak man before. But when he's wanting to tell people about what's happened in his life and how they can have courage, no matter how challenging the time comes, he also says, but I'm now Peter. I'm living into that identity that Jesus has given me. And then he uses a couple of titles. He says, Peter, servant and apostle. Now, real quick, that word servant actually is more like a word that we get nervous saying today. That word servant actually is translated like slave. It's not the kind of slavery that we've experienced in colonial America that the slave that he means is considered a, a bond servant. A, a slave in this way would have been um, under a really powerful person, maybe the emperor, would have been employed and put into complete devotion to that leader. When that servant or slave went out into the world, everywhere that he went, people would see him and recognize the power behind who he was devoted to. So Peter says, I am completely devoted to my love, Jesus, to my master, Jesus. Everything in my life is totally on the table and able for him to direct however he wants. But as humble as that is, he also says, and I'm an apostle. That word apostle means a sent one. And it was given to all those that Jesus would send out on mission with his message of good news for the world. And what it actually signifies when Peter writes this, he's going, I'm just like you, but don't, don't misunderstand. This is not a friendly letter. I've got authority from Jesus himself. Pay attention. That's to his readers and it's to us today. So humble authority, old identity, new identity. And he says, I'm writing to all of you who have a faith equal to mine. What's interesting about him saying that is he's trying to get across this idea that they're all on level playing field because of how they got their faith. Notice he says, you have received it. You have faith like I have faith because God chose like winning the lottery, you have just been given it from God. He chose to allow us to have this. Nothing that we could do to earn it, nothing that we could do to buy it, nothing we could do to deserve it. God just decided that we were all gonna be called into his family. So he lays the common ground for all of us. This should be good news for you and for me, that no matter kind of the level of authority or place we may have, each of us has absolutely the same opportunity to live out the life that God's gonna call us to because he picked us for faith. Peter goes on to then say this, verse two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I love that. How many of us would like to have grace 
You know any gracious people? Like no matter the circumstance, the way they respond is just great. And you're like, God, I wish I could be like that. They seem to be able to just kind of work through whatever situation is happening in life and people love and flock to them. They want to be around them. You know people like this? Or the person, what about peace? He says, I want it to be multiplied to you in abundance, overflowing in your life. How many of us would love to wake up every day with peace? I'm not talking about just like a hope that things are going to be okay. I mean, settled confidence because we're connected to God in such a way. And this word means connected to God and connected to each other. No quarreling, no strife, that we're totally connected in such a way that we know everything's gonna be all right. Could you, can you just imagine with me for a moment living a life where every morning you woke up and it was like, it doesn't matter what's coming, doesn't matter the diagnosis, doesn't matter how this meeting at work goes, it doesn't matter how that Tuesday night conversation with my teenager is gonna go, it doesn't matter how we resolve this fight with my spouse. If you could wake up every morning and go, I am completely convinced that it's gonna be okay. That's what grace and peace being multiplied to us could look like. Peter says, it's possible, but, but there's, a, there's a formula, there's a recipe. He says, grace and peace come, God gives those in a particular way, through knowing Jesus. To get grace and peace, you have to know Jesus. Now, the word that he uses there is interesting. It's not know about. Uh, it's not like no facts of or data. Peter says this word knowledge means a deep, intimate, relational, experiential knowing. If you, and this is, this is where like right now we have a choice, we have an opportunity and that's why I'm so concerned about making sure that each of you know how to take a step and connect to the church, the life of the church. Because we, for many of us, what the last year showed us is that our faith was about a bunch of facts and things we believe to be true. And when the pressure came, like Peter's old life, some of us just fell apart and we isolated and we went in hiding and we gave up and we said, I don't know, maybe binging Netflix is better than all this stuff. And, and we just shut down. And Peter's like, if you want to live an overcoming abundant life, you don't just know about. Sermons don't get you this. Books and their own don't get you this. This comes about when you are experiencing a relationship with Jesus. That happens through prayer. It happens through scripture. It happens through the community of faith. This is why don't just let it be a spectator thing. Like jump in. It happens through serving. As you do that, you begin to see how God, how Jesus Christ is with us working in and through. And there's something that just, it causes our, our hopefulness to go up. It causes our peace to go up. It causes the grace of God. This God, You know what grace is? Grace is God being determined to treat you the way he wants to lovingly treat you, no matter what you deserve. Isn't that crazy? The God of the universe is determined to do good to you, even though you don't do good back, even though you don't deserve, you don't want it sometimes. That's the message of this grace. Peter says you can find that overflowing as you get to fall in love with this Jesus, that he knew well. This kind of knowing is what Jesus meant in John 17, three, when he said, this is eternal life, 
Many of us came to, to faith or came to church and Christianity because somebody told us about like, your options are hell hot or heaven, Jesus, cool, you know, oasis, whatever. And we were like, ah, I think I'll take that. That's, that's not what it's all about. It's not escapism. Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know God and to know his son Jesus whom he sent. Eternal life happens now on this side of death when you begin to have a vibrant relationship, what we call around here the dynamic life of Christ, a life of power and purpose, a life of mission, a life of peace that happens when you and I begin to follow and fall in love with Jesus. And Peter's gonna say that's possible. How is it possible? Verse three, I know I am flying through this stuff. So do your best, take your best notes. There's lots of content. Um, and then, you know, go back and rewatch it later. That, that'd be good. That's good for a Monday morning. All right, divine power, number three, verse three. Listen to this. His divine power has given us everything. His power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I don't know if you ever feel this way. I felt this way this week. Um, sometimes I know what I'm supposed to do, like the way I'm supposed to live. I know how, I know the person I wanna be. And yet, when it comes right down to it and the choice that I have to make to go this way or that way, I sometimes will say to myself and, and sometimes to others, I just can't do it. Any of you said that about like what the right thing is? I, I, just, I just can't do it. I just don't have it in me. The beautiful encouragement in what we're reading today is that Peter says, yeah, actually, that's not true. God in his power, what kind of power does God have? All. I mean, he made universes. He, he architected DNA molecules. God, who has all power to do anything that he wants, actually says that power is available to you to live the life that I've called you to live. I've got everything that you need to do things the way that I've intended to live fully the way that you want if you'll live it through relationship with me. Got everything that you need. So unfortunately, I also, not only am I excited and encouraged that I have what I needed, maybe you feel this way too, I'm also a little bit upset now because my excuse just got taken away. Like tomorrow when I wake up and say like, I don't wanna forgive. I, I, I just can't give up my position for somebody else so that they, I, I can't, I've gotta hold on to it. Who's gonna take care of me? I can't be this generous right now. I mean, what happens if the future, I don't know, I gotta hold on to this money. I can't, I can't help them out. If I believe this is true, that the power of God has given me everything needed to do what he's asked me in the moment. I don't have any more excuse. I don't like that. But what I do like is the idea of grace and peace overflowing, multiplied in my life. And Jesus says through Peter, it's possible to live this dynamic life real quick. How do we live this dynamic life? Um, you know, and we talk about in your physical life, there are three things necessary. You need food, clothing, shelter. 
Right? That's, we agree with that, generally. Food, clothing, shelter, yes. You guys are, I know, I know it's early. Okay, food, clothing, shelter are needed for your physical life. For our spiritual life, Peter's gonna tell us you need three things as well. You need God's power, you need his provision, and you need his promises. And he's gonna show us right here in verse three and four how we have those. First, God's power. Despite the fact that I've already used creation as an example of the power of God, to speak a word and plan its form, there is probably no demonstration of his power more incredible than when he makes a dead heart come alive. Would you agree? You know anybody that you've met and you're like, that person is as far away from who God intends anybody to be? And then one day you meet them again and they're all grace oozing out of them, peaceful, like cleaned. And not, not that they're necessarily cleaned up and doing everything right anymore. They're just different. You know what I'm talking about? They begin to experience light and you're like, how does that happen? That's the power of God. Paul would say that the gospel, the message, that the invitation to the kingdom of God is wide open because Jesus chose to obey all the way to a cross and he chose for his death to take the place of ours and pay the penalty for our sin and then was resurrected. That that gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. The greatest power God gives is for you to come alive in him. And all we can do, as we said before, is receive it. It's like, it's like two farmers you know, out in their fields. And it's like neither of them have an irrigation system. And it's like, well, I guess we gotta wait on the rain. I can't make it rain. I can yell about it. I can try to, but I gotta just wait until he delivers. The power of God is that he looks at you in spite of yourself. And he says, come on, you're coming to my family. The second thing that Peter says is then we have to receive God's provision. God calls us, brings us in, and we have to choose to allow him to just say yes. We just, we just surrender. That's our whole role, just surrender to what God wants to do. For some of you, you haven't taken that step yet. That's your next thing today is to say, that's it. I am gonna just give up and give in. For others of us, we need to be reminded that that's how we got here. Because somehow, us kind of keeping the rules and becoming good, like, Christians, good at this Christian game, it starts to make us think that we've kind of, you know, we've earned our press. Like, we start judging other people who aren't where we are. And Peter's like, no, 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 don't forget. This is all a gift that you received. But you have to receive it. Accepting his provision is accepting what 2 Corinthians 5.17 would say is a new creation. You get to be different as a choice of God's, receiving God's gift. Finally then, verse four, he says, this, this is where I wanna just camp for a moment. And I think this is some of the most practical stuff you're gonna be able to take away for this next week. Okay, he says this. Um, Believe God's promises. He says, by these, he's given us very great and precious promises. Promises that no matter what you and I are facing tomorrow or five years from now or what we've had to live down, he gives promises that we can actually build our faith and trust on. And when we do, we have everything that we need to live the life that he wants. So I, I made a list and I'm gonna... I'm gonna throw these up on Instagram tomorrow because there's just too many of them for you to write them down really fast. So just listen. But I'm gonna give you scripture references for each of these. And I want you to, to think about 
which of these promises that God makes to us as believers do you most need to believe? Which of these do you need to most trust is true in your life right now, okay? Just, just listen to these. One of the promises that he makes is that you, if you've accepted Christ, you are a child of God with access to God at any moment. You don't have to have had a good day. You don't have to be in church. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to have done anything. At any moment, you have access to the God of the universe. Romans 5.2. Because you've been adopted as his kid, a child of God with access, you have an inheritance for the future. I don't think, I'm really glad 2 Peter talks about the future because I don't think we think about it enough. We're so busy just trying to like slog through today that we don't think about everything that's awaiting us on the other side of this life. Everything that you could possibly need, you can't lose by trading now for then. You can't lose. Everything that we could want, it's in the inheritance that you've given us. Colossians 1.12. It says that we are loved and accepted as we are. Romans 5, 8, a promise that we can have peace, that God is no longer mad at you. Peace with God, Romans 5, 1. There's a promise that you can have strength to do what you need to do right now. Some of you know this verse. Tim Tebow made it popular. Philippians 4, 13, right there on the eye black. I can do all things through Christ. Not you can do anything you want to. You can do everything that God asks you to do through Christ in you at that moment. Everything. That's a promise. Philippians 4.13. This one, for a lot of us, this is a big one, that you are never alone. This last year, I've talked to so many people that whether they were forced to by, by physical and kind of medical reasons or they chose to out of fear, they'd just been isolated and felt, you feel lonely, disconnected. Hebrews 13, five and six says, you're never alone. John 14, 15 and 17 says, the Holy Spirit, a promise that God's spirit himself is with you always. He calls it a paraclete, Jesus does. Not parakeet, paraclete. The word is like this helper, but it has this real specific meaning. It's um, in warrior times, they would fight back to back. And a paraclete would be the person that would come alongside you if you're facing the enemy this way and he would fight facing the opposite way. Can you believe, this is crazy to me, that God himself says, I got your back? That's a promise. I got your back with what you're facing. I got your back with what you're walking into. God says, I got your back. More than I got your back, here is my spirit and power. That's a promise. Protection until the end of our lives. He says, even when your life is over, it's just beginning. 2 Timothy 4.18. And then finally, the best one of all, maybe. John 14.2, that Jesus is coming back. What, what, what is so important for you to get about that is as you look around the world, as I do right now, and we see all the things that are broken, all the injustice, all the sadness, all of the division, all of that, it does not get the last word. It will all be undone. It will all be placed rightly when Jesus returns. And that's a promise. So let me, let me ask you this question. Which of those promises, if you lived 100% like it's true, 
how would you live differently? Like if, if you could wake up tomorrow and automatically be completely convinced that one of these promises is absolutely true, how would it change how you live? And then you just, you start living that way because it's true. Because God doesn't lie. And he says, I've given you everything and I wanna multiply grace and peace to you. But here's the key. The way that this happens is by choosing participation. You have to actually choose. Peter says, we have the chance to share in the divine nature. When you come to faith, God places a seed of the you that you're gonna be forever, a seed of that eternal life in you. And that seed, just like the seed of an apple tree or a dandelion or whatever, that seed has all the, in its DNA that it needs to grow into what it becomes. Just like a human. A little baby has everything in it that it needs to grow up into what it's gonna be, into an adult. And yet, it has to cooperate with the process. Information doesn't get it there. This is, this is where we miss. Information does not lead to transformation always. Participation with God and what he's doing leads to transformation. And a bunch of you raised your hand earlier and said, that's what you want. That's what I want. So I wanna pray for us now that we'd be able to live as true uh, this, this big idea that I wanna give you at the end. That you can live a courageous life in challenging times by receiving God's power, by trusting his promises, and by choosing to participate right where he has you. Can you pray with me in that way? Just let's believe that he's gonna show up like this. Father, it is a really tough, really tough moment. It, it, it's a tough time just to be alive. It's a tough moment as a, a follower of Christ to kind of know what to do. Sometimes it feels like it's hard to know what to believe. There's so many voices. And, and there's our own voice that says like, you can't do that that reminds us of our guilt, that reminds us of our failure. And all of that gets wrapped up in our ability to just do what you have in front of us every day. And so God, I pray that as we go through this letter, as we, I mean, just starting in like the, the opening, Peter just says, hi, and there's so much power and content here. God, I pray you would apply this to every person watching, listening, present, exactly the way they need it. Father, I pray that one of these promises that you've given us and, and the ones that we talked about today, are those, those are just a few. Would you cause one of those to leap off the page and reassure our anxious hearts? Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to be people who live like Peter became, courageous, steady, transforming, hopeful, expectant, engaged in what's happening around us, God. Father, we know the answer to what is, what is desperately needed right now is not just, it's not legislation, 
It's not a new movement, it's not a new idea. The answer to what we see through tear-stained eyes and heavy hearts around us is when the people of God begin to live out a love that you have placed in us as we walk with having everything we need for life and godliness, as we walk it out in the place you called us to, God, that changes the world. But it starts with changing us, so would you do that now? Father, I pray that you would enliven us with a vision of the life you've called us to and the world you're in the, in the process of creating. We love you, trust you. God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you even more. But we pray these things knowing Jesus that you hear. In your resurrected name we ask.